guest is someone I don't know, but I'm very excited to have her on because one of the things I've come to realize is that you're seeing all these individual issues. You know, it might be uh, what's happening in the school curriculum, driving you nuts. It might be what's happening with the council, driving you nuts. It might be happening with um, racial issues um, or climate change or pandemic policy, uh, oh, transgender, all on and on and on. What's happening in journalism? What's happening in the news? What's happening to movies? And you start to realize that these aren't individual things, that uh, there is a, I don't know, political movement, philosophy behind this. And it's come to be called woke or wokeism. And I was told there's a lady out there, and by the way, uh, listeners on Reality Check Radio, um, she's going to have her own show, which I will be tuning into religiously. Uh, I've got the benefit of having her on my show. I'd never heard of her before, and we were texting each other to set up the meeting, and only in New Zealand does this happen. Uh, we worked out that we're cousins by marriage. So we're keeping this um, in the family. And I'm very pleased, and I'm going to learn a lot uh, from Marie Buskey. Good morning, Marie. Good morning, Cuz. Cuz. <laughs> it's like a family reunion, isn't it? I know. I know. It is. Second it took, cousins, look, you said, by marriage. Second cousins by marriage. Yeah. And your because mother you and have. And my father are cousins. I, yeah. I'll tell you how it happened. I mispronounce uh, words. Um, I'm slightly dyspraxic, I've worked out. Um, and so when I see a person's name or a word or a foreign word, I'll stumble over it. And so I've learned to take a great deal of trouble to really study if I'm going to have them on a show, a person's surname or first name, so I, I can pronounce it um, correctly. And your name is Busky. And when you see it written down, it looks so peculiar. And my yeah. plan was to Google it and see if I could hear someone saying it and I could get it and learn it last night. And then I studied your name and, you know, my brain working. Busky, hang on. My mother-in-law's surname's Busky. There's a whole tribe of Buskies out there. Huh. Mm. It's not a very common surname. No, uh, it's not. Are we related? Yes, we are. <laughs> and and I get that a lot because it is such an unusual surname and people will say, are you related to? And in the New Zealand context, the answer to that is always yes. It's a so, funny thing when you're traveling, yeah. when you're traveling overseas and you'll get on a train. I remember sitting in a carriage and, uh, you know, when I was young and there's a Kiwi come in and they say, oh, where are you from? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where'd you go to school? Oh, yeah. You go to university. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you know so-and-so? No, 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 but I knew their brother. And these English people were saying, what is it about you Kiwis? You seem to know everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. Because Who degrees? It, it's a small space. Mm. Now tell me, I am only getting into this understanding of wokeism because I have been thrown for a six. I guess for some years, gently, and then with COVID, 
I just fell off the edge. My mm. my head was reeling. I couldn't understand all the stuff that was being taken as read. It seemed to me to be wrong. It seemed to be to be disastrous. And it was all just accepted. And it was across all those, every front that you can imagine, every part of life, my kids' schooling, my work, wherever I was. And I realized that there has been a big philosophical shift occurring. I realize it's probably been bubbling away for 50 years or longer, like a cultural shift, a shift in philosophy, a shift in the way we see the world and our relationships with each other. And it's known by wokeism or woke. Mm -hmm. And I'm told, Marie, that my dearest newly discovered cousin <laughs> knows a little bit about this. I do. I do. What is um, it? What's wokeism? What wokeism? Yeah, it's a little bit like that question these days, what is a woman? It's one of those things. Oh, it's yeah. something that, yeah, it's all of a sudden for many become quite difficult to define. I know the answer to what is a woman. Adult human female. Adult human female. Yeah, it's as simple as that. the same documentaries. Yeah, so wokeism is, wokeism is a, a colloquial term that is often used, as you said, to explain a lot of these different ideological or decision-making trees that we're seeing out there at the moment. I think probably I'm going to give a very simplistic um, answer to this. There are some really fantastic books out there. And if you want to do a real deep dive into what this is in terms of its historical beginnings, uh, I think probably a great book is called Cynical Theories uh, by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago and they are both uh, academics. They have dived into the history of where this came from. But in terms of an everyday context, wokeism is I is really the bastardized child of Marxism and postmodernism. So Marxism, most people will understand, is, com, is, is the foundation for communism. And in communism, it was around di dividing a population up based on class, wealth, and power. So the communists were very keen, and the Marxists especially, were very, very keen to actually divide people up. You were delineated within those segregations, and from that, you were treated um, accordingly. So if you had class, um, higher classes in power, you had all the things at your feet. If you did have those lower classes, this is what you had to do. And we know that communism is very much a failed experiment across the 20th century. And, and forgive me for just clarifying this. My understanding is, on this class basis, the mm -hmm. Marxists would explain it as, that's how you think, mm -hmm. that's how you behave. So you can't escape your class? No, no. And so, they weren't very and, big on ascension either, in terms of your class, yeah. So if I'm a capitalist, they would say, of course, that's how a capitalist would mm. think. Of course, that's what a capitalist would say. Is yeah. that right? 
Yeah, and, but also if you look at um, Pol Pot through Cambodia, for example, I mean, he went through and decided that everybody who was an academic fell into a class that uh, required, a, required eradication. So, you know, they went through and anybody who wore spectacles was considered to be part of that academic class because they must have been bright and they were all eradicated. See, forgive me, but for some time before all this came to my daily attention, people would talk to me about Marxism, postmodernism, cultural Marxism, cultural wars, and literally, Marie, my eyes would just glaze over. Glaze over. <laughs> and then I would go along and someone would be saying at a political meeting, you got to look, Rodney, at the curriculum. It's Marxism. It's cultural Marxism in our schools. Mm. And I'm thinking, what? Are you? Have you lost your mind? Um, but what you're saying to me is that this idea that there are groups in society, identities in society, you belong to a group mm -hmm. and you think like the group. That's the essence of it, is it? Yeah, so wokeism, so instead of breaking, Marxism breaks things down into class, wealth and power. Wokeism breaks things down into race, marginalised groups, and I also believe power as well. Um, I know that the official definitions tend not to put power in there. In fact, the official definition of wokeism is, is somebody who is alert to racial prejudice and discrimination. Um, oh, only if that were true. Uh, but it's really breaking every... So instead of pe breaking people down into class and wealth, they were now breaking them down into race in these so-called marginalised groups. And what... And so then that is the next question. What defines... Yes. A marginalised group. And one of the things that I noticed very early on with all of this was the manipulation around language. And we see this within our own political sphere. And in terms of identifying it, one of the things you need to do with this ideology, and this is what they have done so incredibly well, is they have taken control of language. Is the first thing they've done is taking control of language. So when you talk about a marginalised group, well, there is never much of a definition there. How do you define a marginalised group? Um, if you look at the official, their own official uh, definition, which is alert to racial prejudice and discrimination, but there's caveats with that. So racial prejudice, but racial prejudice against whom? And that it therefore needs to be a pre-described, pre-subscribed group of marginalised people. So they have now made up these groups, these broken down these groups of people into a different a hierarchy, essentially, and a mm. hierarchy of oppression. And so I have to say, who's the they? Who is the they? They tend to be people that um, the majority of them. Uh, ones with far left-leaning ideologies. So they tend to be the, themselves cultural Marxists. Um, they will openly admit that they have Marxist So this would be tendencies. professors of sociology at university. Yeah, not all, not all. Yeah. 
yeah, not all, yeah. but yeah. they might be teaching uh, teachers at university, mm-hmm. um, and they would I self describe themselves as looking at the world as cultural Marxists. Absolutely, because they look at everything from an ideological, not a practical lens. So if I had a discussion once with somebody who believed that Marxism was the way communism was going to save it, and I said, well, what about the 20 million people that communism killed in the 20th century? You can't tell me that this is going to work. And they said, oh, yes, but they didn't do it right that time. You know, it's always about being able to do something something better. So what, for me, wokeism has, is actually kind of evolved from that. It's they they realise that that... Uh, the stigma of of communism uh, from the 20th century really isn't going to work. So they need to evolve the ideology and create it into something new. Is this a conspiracy on your part? Is there a conspiracy? No, I don't know. I think it's a natural natural political and ideological evolution, just as Christianity um, has evolved over the years, just as uh, other political and ideologies or even political... um, uh, movements or capitalism or liberalism. I mean, classic liberalism as an idea and a concept is really pretty amazing. That's about discussing and having com- conversations. I mean, the entire Western canon is based on traditional liberalism yes. of democracy and discussion. Personal and, responsibility. Yeah, personal responsibility, individualism versus collectivism. Which objective Marxism reality. Goes, yeah. The concept of truth. Um, Absolutely. That there, are, that there are better cultures than others and they can be identified. There are better rules for living and they can be identified versus what we're up against now, which is a competing ideology or philosophical mm-hmm. framework, which in popular terms we're describing as um, wokeism. And what you're saying is just like our belief in uh, democracy and reason has flown out of the Greek and Roman thinking, out of the Renaissance, out of uh, great philosophical thinkers and Adam Smith, and it's been evolved over time, this alternative thinking has flown out of Marx and his predecessor Hegel and their way of viewing the world. And it's no longer about capitalists versus workers, but these other groups in society. Am I correct in that? Yes, definitely correct in that. And you can throw in the likes of Marcuse and such from the postmodernist canon, those, the, the French, I mean, they were, that's where, and they, I mean, I don't know too much about postmodernism, but everything I've read around postmodernism is uh, you have, it's almost like a cultural um, anarchy, really. It's like they throw out lots of the, the, the rules of what is considered conservative or traditional uh, rules of yeah. propriety, and they tend to sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater and anything goes. But, but if, if, to interrupt you, if I'm meeting with a school teacher mm-hmm. and he or she is explaining to me some bit of madness, right? Yeah. Um, if I said, oh, that's cultural Marxism yeah. or that's postmodernism, or that's wokery pokery, yeah. i.e. your bullshit, 
he or she's going to look at me like what planet you're not yeah what planet are you on though because they themselves don't have a clue when you're because dealing with an ed- just like unless you've put a lot of effort in you don't really know where your view of what's right and wrong has come from yeah. you grow up with it don't you absolutely you, you imbibe it you imbibe christian values you imbibe individual responsibility within your family within your community and that's the way the world is and so we're dealing with a group of people who have grown up in school and university with a different philosophical outlook. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And this this f- philosophy, well, this ideology, I call it an ideology. Yes. It's an import, okay? Um, it's an American import. It is something that has been born out of the universities in the USA. It has been quietly bubbling along for about 100 years, but it really came to the, the fore uh, post-war, post-World War II. And that's when it entrenched itself in universities. And that's where it was entrenched for a really long time. There were, you know, certain academics that were quite um, fused in it. It's and But that's where it tended to stay. It's when it broke out of the universities and started to actually enter uh, the mainstream sort of everyday life that we started to see things happening and so can i just interrupt there mm. because also too at the same time has been this extraordinary expansion of universities mm-hmm. so universities used to be small they used to be elitist um they used to be confined to certain professions and unless you were an intellectual, you know, um, didn't affect you. But now, post-war, huge expansion in universities. Um, We developed this concept that every kid should go to university. I want my kids to go to college. Mm. I want my kids to go to university. The universities are being funded. Uh, They've got endowments. Here in New Zealand, the government's writing checks, and they're employing. And there's a big growth in soft studies, you know, things yep. that previously gender studies, gender studies, studies environmental black studies, studies, environmental yeah. studies. If it ends in the word studies, yes. run. And or and or, or the word ends in ology, yes. uh, run. Um and Kids growing up who hitherto never went to university to do a particular profession are now coming under university life, nursing, um, um, horticulture. You go to university, Mm. get a diploma, and then they prescribe courses. Mm -hmm. And so this impact. So that's, that's what took it from that small group, right? Yeah, well, so initially in those small groups, for the, for decades, it was only if you went into those what they call liberal arts type degrees or social degrees that you would actually come across these philosophies. And I mean, it's and it's actually, that's where they belong. I mean, if you're going to teach these philosophies, that's where you teach them, right? And the whole point of university is that you go to learn um, all the sides to every single story. You have discussion and you debate and you actually look at the entire picture. 
of what is available and what is out there and all those canons and all those elements of thought. So that's what university traditionally used to be like. Somewhere along the line, that stopped. And the predominant ideology, and particularly around Marxism and postmodernism, seemed to take hold. But then it spilled out of those humanities type degrees and it spilled into the mainstream and that's where you started to see them turn up in classes and places so the Brett Weinstein um, people may have heard of Brett Weinstein he's an evolutionary biologist him and his wife Heather Hang taught at a university uh, in the United States and that university is called Evergreen College it is probably one of the most liberal leftward leaning progressive colleges in the USA and he was an evolutionary biologist there as is his wife and he was quite famously cancelled uh, because they had a day on campus where they wanted I think to uh, I think it was like, I think it was something called like a blackout day but it was a day where all um, if you weren't a black student uh, or faculty member it was expected that you didn't attend campus that day and he just thought that that was quite wrong. And that, it's a very long involved story, but he was beginning to see things happening within that, his own university that he was starting to question. And that event, and people feel free to look that up, but that event really set off a domino effect across a number of other universities where what had happened is this ideology crept out of the humanities and it was starting to be implemented across every single university course. So all of a sudden, and this is now happening in this country, and I know this talking to friends who have got uh, students currently at university, and it doesn't matter what tertiary course it is now, every single tertiary course has some paper involved, a compulsory paper around um, either sustainability or post some sort of postmodernist yeah, so woke type. Um, I go off class. to learn civil engineering mm -hmm. and I have to do a paper on the treaty. Mm -hmm. Presumably, yep. I, possibly. Um, I don't know that, but I can imagine that happens. And a paper on sustainability. Yeah. And haven't hasn't this movement or ideology it's captured the high ground mm. within institutions and corporates because oh yes, you're teaching engineering, well you're teaching how bridges work, and that's great, but it's very important that you look after the planet. Uh, and of course, you're sitting there in a ad, administrative meeting, and you can't say, "Oh no, we don't give a toss about the planet. We just want to build bridges." Oh no, we've got to care about the planet. Well, you know, obviously, engineers have got to be have a wider uh, mm. understanding, and then that course gets inserted. And of course, the people that are experts on sustainability get jobs and get to teach engineers and advance their views. And then they say, "Well, hang on." When you're building a bridge and being a civil engineer, that has a social context and all the rest of it. So you've got to understand uh, about society and about the treaty and about racism and about obligations. And you can say, well, we just build, build 
bridges, man. Yes, but those bridges have a cultural thing and they're walking over cultures and, and they don't, they're embedded in the culture. Oh, well, we better put in a cultural component into civil engineering. And that's the high ground maneuver, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. One of the things that always intrigues me, and in this country we've had uh, with the treaty, but it doesn't, it, there's always something in every country. I mean, in the US it's slavery. Yes. Um, is what I call this form of, um, it's almost like a, academical support of laundering of ideas that they yes. have amongst each other. So what you were describing in terms of engineering, so they would then have to take like some form of uh, cultural and sustainability paper that would be compulsory in year one to teach them. And it's literally indoctr indoctrination. I've seen these papers. They, it, it's exactly all of these philosophies all rolled up into one. And they are told that you this is the gold standard, this is fact. And when you go back and look where that fact is based on, it is based on a number of papers, theories, and publishing done mostly in American universities that has been put through an academic laundering system, yes. like money laundering, where you have essentially a bullshit idea where a whole bunch of professors agree that this is a wonderful idea. Yes. They endorse that idea in paper that then allows you to refer back and reference those yes. people to co-author. And so you get a collection of essentially really bad ideas that's, that all support each other and therefore that legitimizes the idea as fact even though the idea itself is bullshit so it it's in that once that's but that has been established you can then take um though there's really poor ideas and filter those ideas across academia and say well this is peer-reviewed yes. they've already said that this is well, a wonderful nothing, idea there's nothing more corrupt than the peer review process oh it's it's just it is really dreadful and if you want to sort of and if people listening to this are saying well what does she know you know um it does that's a conspiracy that doesn't exist then i challenge you to look up the grievance studies affair it happened in 2018 there are three academics james Lindsay that i mentioned earlier helen pluckrose um it was also who wrote both of those wrote cynical theories. And a third guy called Peter Bogosian, who was a professor of um, philosophy at Portland State University. And they all got together. And this is in, I think, 2018 they did this. They all got together. And especially Bogosian, he was really, really disturbed. And Portland, for people who don't know, is on the... Uh, west coast of the USA. It's sort of um, heading up north of California. It's in Oregon and very, very left-wing uh, area. So very sort of uh, like very hippy-dippy, very sort of uh, left cultural ideas up there. Beautiful city. And so he's at that university and he was seeing some really disturbing ideas beginning to come out of academia. So uh, the three of them got together. Helen is um, British and uh, Lindsay is from Tennessee. So he's from Central South USA. They got together and they created a thing called the Grievance Studies Affair where they started writing 
academic papers to see if they could get these academic papers through the publishing and peer-reviewed process to prove how stupid it was. How stupid it was. Now, the first paper they wrote, and they admitted this, they said the first paper that they wrote, they didn't actually give it the gravitas that it required, and it, it was summarily rejected. So then they all sat back down and thought, oh, okay, well, maybe we need to put a bit more of an effort into this. And they did. And that paper got published. And across that year, they wrote a number of papers that were published until they were exposed, I think, by the New York Times. Papers included, one paper was taking one of the chapters from Hitler's Mind Camp and replacing all the reference to Jew <laughs> and changing that to women, uh, so to, to, in feminism. That got published. Uh, another paper that they won an award for from a, like, as in the top piece of academic literature for that year was on the homosexual behaviours displayed by dogs at Portland dog parks. <laughs> so gay dogs. Well, when you look at what gets funded here in New Zealand, as research and you just got to read the title Mm. and you shake your head like it is a parody like it is studying Mm -hmm. gay dogs at a public park we've seen that terrible poem bad poetry Mm. nasty poetry literally hate speech i wouldn't ban it but the idea that that gets funded uh, by my tax dollars is horrific. That's what's happened in the universities. Mm-hmm. And I have, with friends and family, noticed bright young kids who are sensible going off to university where I think they'd be able to preserve their minds and coming out as engineers, and when you challenge them on a political or environmental or social issue, they become automatons. Mm. Yeah. So I had a young guy who went off to university to do computer science. <laughs> it's either works or it doesn't, the code, mm. who thought climate change was nonsense when he went to university, came out of the university, and suddenly it was true. And so I sat with him, and we just had a discussion, and he became very uncomfortable just by me saying, well, hang on, where's, you know, let's think about this logically. What would what would allow us to know this was true? How would you test this? The facts, you know, reality. And in the event... He ended up getting very frustrated, hating me, right, angry, and explaining that his professor was an expert in the area and this is what she said. Oh, you've said one of those triggering words. Oh, are you expert? Suddenly, do I need a safe space for you to run? Uh, to? 
expert. Um, what is an expert, Rodney? So this goes, yeah, this goes off to the universities. It's in our mm. schools, this ideology. It's got the high moral ground. It's in our media. And what is it? What are, what are the characteristics? You mentioned these marginal yeah, groups. Yeah, the marginal groups. It's Sometimes it's it's identifying it, right? You know, because it is a very vaporous, vacuous Can I have a type crack? thing. You go on. So I've been, not like you, but I've been trying to assemble my understanding of what's going on and why we're struggling. First of all, it says there's no such thing as objective reality. Yes, it's perceived reality. It's perceived reality. It's how you mm -hmm. perceive it. So you might be arguing something about facts, and those facts aren't facts to a wokester because facts are just weapons that are used to try and put me down, right? So there's no objective reality out there that we can test and debate and kick our feet against. So everything is a perception, but the perception that you have is a consequence of the group to which you've been ascribed by them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, oh, yes, you've got all those facts about weather and climate and geology, but you are a white, male, old colonialist, so of course you have those facts. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And you think like you think that fossil fuels are great and how lucky we are to live post the industrial age where we can live prosperous and free without having to slave away with manual labor because that's a group to which you're belonging. Mm. Is that a thing of wokesterism? <laughs> Yeah, there is. It's an element of it. So they define everybody into co collective groups. So race is an, is often an easier one. So they they will place everybody into race race groups. And in the US, they do that very much. They have black. They have Latin X now. You have to stick an X on it. I don't know why. Um, and then you have. Asian races, all the different race groups. So that, so when it comes to the word racism, that we know in a traditional sense, because let's face it, everything is racist these days. When we look at racism, that is treating somebody in a discriminatory matter, manner due to their race. That's the definition that we know it as. The modern woke definition is that is it's not so much treating them in terms of a discriminatory position based on their race, but it's based on their race as a marginalised group. So the caveat to that is, is if you are white, you don't fall into that category. So you are unable to be 
um, say that, well, I'm having someone's being racist towards me because of my because I am part Caucasian. Oh, that's impossible. No, that's impossible. And I, I mean, I had somebody say to me a number of years ago. So I mean, I've got a lot of um, Māori heritage, but I've also got Irish heritage. I've, I'm a classic Kiwi mix-up. You know, I've got a whole bunch of everything. Now, according to the New Zealand government, if I choose to enact my Māori heritage, which I, which I do, I, I've never. I mean, I'm. I've always considered myself a um, a New Zealander of European and Māori descent. That's never been for me a big deal I just it's an is not as opposed to something that I need to wave out so when all of this stuff started for me I remember having a conversation with someone who was a then friend who were we were talking about race and they were talking about the treaty and getting very heated about it bearing in mind that this person was Australian so how they could become such an expert on uh, treaty law was beyond me but they and I said to them, Well, hold on, I'd actually take offense to what you're saying because I'm part Māori and I didn't experience that at all growing up, and neither did a number of my family members. Everyone just, you know, and I got on and I talked about uh, my experiences as a child and, and within my extended family. And her throwback to me was, is, Oh, no, you can't claim that, you can't claim your Māori heritage because you're outwardly white. Yes. So it had because nothing. Because the group is politically defined. Yes. It's not and an it's... objective. It's not and objective. The... And with wokeism, the group is always more important than the individual. Well, the individual doesn't exist. No. And of course, in New Zealand, let's think about that. We have a hierarchy which sort of goes white male bottom, no, old white male bottom, <laughs> uh, white female. Um, oh, no, you, you miss a heterosexual white male. Oh, yes, heterosexual, heterosexual white, white male. Yeah. And then refugee is a big thing to be. You That's, in a, that's a special status if you're uh, or mm -hmm. an immigrant. They're special, which is peculiar because immigrants and refugees are special and they, you know, literally could have arrived here last week, but they're special. And then you can't beat being Maori. That is end of argument because you're Willie Jackson, right? Yes, but see, even then within Maori. So... If you spend any time with anybody that's, that works and has spent time within Māori, you will know that there has never been a day, depending which migration you came on, that they agreed on anything. Of course. Ever. Mm. Okay, so they. So I just find that really fascinating because there is definitely a split in Māoridom. And, uh, and you will look, there is what I call political Māoridom, which is the Willie Jacksons, Nana Mahuta's, at all, who and are nothing? You, who are nothing in Marydom? And then you have the true, uh, those you know, the, the true hierarchy within Marydom who have been as they have always been. They work with it's, and, and they have no aspiration on anything. They want to live under Heifakaputinga as their own family um, and tribal groups, 
under one sky, on the land. Essentially, they don't want government involved in their lives. They want government to leave them the hell alone. And they just want to get on with living, which is actually kind of what I think most New Zealanders want to do. Mm. But they've been dragged along into this cultural ideology, which is imported. They've gone and applied a, a sort of Māori lens on it. And I mean, I, I honestly, I speak to so many people and they, they're embarrassed by a lot of this activism that they're seeing because that is not what they're about, not what they've ever been about. But they're and not they, No, and they're self-censored too. You know, that they either yeah. feel that they can't speak up about it or they just shut down and just get on with, with what they're because, doing. So. Because what you're saying are the individuals, not the groups. Mm. Yeah, and within individuals, they will voluntarily organise themselves. You might have the McLeods who have a proud tradition historically, and the McLeods will get together and form their group. Um, and not necessarily what, with the Campbells, I understand. No, but we understand that, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. no one has a trouble with that because you live under a set of rules which allow for, dare I say, the diversity word, that allow for that diversity. But of course, what this woke stuff is doing is driving wedges mm. because Maori and colonizers are like workers and capitalists. If you understand how a market operates, you know that the owner of a business and those who work for the business, their interests largely align. You know, they mm. want the business to succeed so they can all prosper. Um, we know living in a society that the different groups' interests align. But coming out of Marxism, the groups are inherently in conflict. Um, there's what is it, a thesis and an antithesis and a synthesis um, from Hegel. And so there's this warring groups um, and oppressed and oppressors, victims and victors, um, this terrible history that is dominating the way we think. And this has been put onto us through this ideology that's come out of the universities from America. Correct? Yes, correct. And when we try and argue with it the argument itself is unacceptable but you can't you can't um argue with a willie jackson um or a climate change fanatic or a covid lockdown fanatic because you would say that right yeah, yeah. um and therefore my only response, because we don't agree with critical thought, rational debate, and intelligent conversation, everything that Reality Check Radio yeah. stands for, we don't agree with that. Therefore, if we have any inkling of power, we will shut you down and mm -hmm. potentially lock you up. So we and that's and that is exactly it. I mean, they have created a series of groups. And if you fall outside of those groups, you don't even get to enter the conversation. No. So a I mean a really example that 
you will understand is anti-vaxxer. I mean, anti-vax, anti-vaxxer is the new racist, don't you know? Yes. Um, you know, so they will, they will automatically apply a label to you, whether or not that label is justified or not. And the minute that label has been applied, the minute that label has been applied, you then are now no longer allowed to be part of a conversation at all. You're no and longer human. No, no. Oh, that's that's a whole other Pandora's box to open. Yeah, this is it, interesting. I'm seeing something now, Marie, that I hadn't seen. This pandemic, the COVID pandemic, was like wokeism central. It was the Trojan horse that wokeism rode into to become what was a fringe ideology that was living in universities and within large corporate entities, and then got, particularly especially in this country, got catapulted into the mainstream because everyday people all of a sudden were like, what's going on here? Because what, I hadn't seen this, what it allowed to have happen is to say these views mustn't be heard for public health reasons mm-hmm. because we can't allow the normal debate to occur because it'll un- undermine um, our public health measures. If there's any questioning of how serious this pandemic is or any questioning of the effectiveness or safety of this jab, that will undermine our initiative to save society, Right. Mm-hmm. So we can't have that. And all the media and everyone says, oh, well, that's fair enough because it's like a war. You know, we can't have anyone saying, do you really mm-hmm. think we should be doing this to our kids? So then it allowed the government and leaders to demolish dissent. Mm. Oh, you are an anti-vaxxer, Mr. Hyde. Right, nutter, dangerous. If you get heard, maybe someone might listen and won't take our vaccine, and that will mean that we don't beat COVID. So, reviling people and dismissing political opponents or dissent became acceptable. And that great phrase, the river of filth. Mm, yeah. You're filthy. You're 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 just and I <laughs> they fall back on that old one. Nazi. Mm, or oh, yeah. white white supremacists. <laughs> supremacists. Oh right. Oh right. Yeah, that's <laughs> and of course one. the white supremacist stuff didn't work against the parliamentary protest because there's a whole lot of Maori there. But they were the unwitting tools of white supremacy. Yeah, so it was, yeah. and that just catapulted. Yeah. I realize that now, this whole thing of being able to demolish an argument, deplatform someone, um, abuse someone, and you'd have former friends who you'd grown up with say to you, Oh, I didn't realize you were an anti vaxxer, Rodney. 
Yeah. So then the, but this takes it all the way back around to what I mentioned earlier in terms of the manipulation of language. And that manipulation of language starts at primary schools and you've got primary age children now yes. so you will be seeing it at primary schools oh, um that it, it's all it's almost like a grooming an ideological grooming that's going on and many of the teachers are, you know i think because you we've become so groomed now to do what we're told you know like right from where from from the government down and they the grooming within primary schools then then moves through within education, and we're now seeing with the, it in the media. And that manipulation of language for this ideology is crucial. And give the, me an example. Really, so, a really good example of this is if you want to recognise what uh, an element of wokeism is. We all understand the civil rights movement in the in the US. We all understand that famous line from Martin Luther King Jr. is "I do not wish wish to be judged by the." Um, color of my skin but the content of my character everyone understands that I think everyone is on board with that and that is known as equality so it's about dealing with the equality of treating every single individual the same it's not about the color of your skin it's about the content of your character but they have now replaced the word and when I say they I'm talking governments I'm talking uh, educational institutions I'm talking about nonprofit organizations they've changed the word equality with the word equity yes two very similar words that's most normal joe blogs people most people that you would just talk to on the street and i've had this conversation dozens of times when i say to people have you noticed that the word equality has disappeared and it's all about equitable Everything needs to have, everyone needs to have equity. Well, equity is quite different to equality. Equality is treating everybody exactly the same. Equity is ensuring that you have the same outcome and everybody can achieve the same outcome, not be treated the same. Now, what does that mean in real terms? That means that you have to treat the, the favoured, mar marginalised groups that require equitable behaviour, you have to give them more or greater privileges in order for them to have the same outcome as what they, they, they set as the benchmark. So, and whether that benchmark be Western liberalism, I don't know because no oh, one I can ever defines this. it. Because I was in the university system when affirmative action here in New Zealand really took a hold. And funnily enough, the difference between those words, equality and equity, are the difference between living in a free and open society versus living in a closed and communistic one. Because in a free and open society, you're all equal before the law to pursue your own happiness and to make your way. But if you're going to say, I'm going to decide who gets what, then you're living in a closed society where this group will get that, that group will get this, which is where we are largely now. Yeah, yeah. But there's another aspect to it. In a open society where you have equality, no one decides who gets what other than all of us, right? Mm. When we go to the supermarket or 
Kmart and buy this or that. You know, we decide which businesses survive and prosper by our buying decisions. There's no one person deciding that person will get X or that person will get Y and that person will get B. But if you live in a society where equity is being adjudicated, someone has to have the power to decide that this group will get that, this group will get this, and that's the attraction of this equity, right? Because I'm picking on Willie Jackson today. It's the Willie Jacksons that get to decide. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge surrendering of power to government, actually. And it is ultimately shifting from a free society to a tyrannical one, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, we're gonna, we're living in a, in a society now where your access to health is going to be dictated by race because it was observed that the outcomes for health were different racially, right? So now we're going to have to change access to health to try and even that up. The power that's being wielded, so I might be sitting there injured, oh, what? oh you're not Maury, so you'll have to wait, or you go into a different system. This is the craziness of what's happening around us, right? Oh, it's absolutely insane. I have and another. Doesn't it could... do your head in? And isn't that a part of it that your head is reeling because every day there's something new? Oh, what are your pronouns? My what? Your pronouns. Oh, you have to announce yeah. your pronouns. Why? Well, it's embarrassing for someone that's not normal or cis normal or whatever. It's embarrassing for a transgender person who looks like a man but is actually a woman to explain it. So to make them feel part of it, we were going to write he, her, she, him, they, them, whatever. And you're thinking, WTF, right? Mm. But that's every day. There's another little thing. Well, it's a, one of the, I had a great conversation on the weekend with um, with some neighbours actually, and we were having a couple of wines. And one of them is a school teacher, and her school actually chose not to um, strike. She's at a private faith based, um, small faith based school. So, but she was talking to a number of people that she knew as teachers who they were striking, and we she was talking about you know what they were receiving in terms of what a teacher coming out of university gets as an opening um, income. Uh, and, that you know, they've come out of four years of university. They've all got student loans. Um, most of these uh, young people in their mid-20s, so they're trying to get a start. And the frustration that they're feeling because they are being paid what they're being paid and the level of work and stress applied to them outside of the classroom. So in terms of what they have to write and record and plan from a bureaucratic perspective. And so the strike was based not just on pay, but it was also pay and conditions. And she, and she had drawn the comparison and she said, it just upsets me because the gap the pay gap between that teacher and someone who is a beneficiary, say, as, as a solo parent with a single child, was was very very small, like within that a few you know thousands of dollars. Now that's not to say that that person who is a single parent who has a child doesn't require support, 
but this is where the equity comes in. And I think there's been an announcement this week in in media around uh, the inflation-adjusted benefits that they're talking about. When you increase all of that, and 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 I've heard people say, oh, yes, but it's the rising tide that lifts all boats. Well, no, actually, it doesn't lift all boats. It only lifts, lifts some of those boats, and some of those boats then become you know that gap starts to get narrowed and I actually feel sorry for people like those teachers like um, even dare I say nurses there's so many in those fields that all of a sudden are being squeezed from below they're struggling to push forward and ahead and above and all of a sudden you think to yourself gosh why am I putting putting myself through all of this debt, education, and hard work when I'm not actually being rewarded for it. So the reward for your meritocracy goes out the window because of this. that's equity in action. That's equity in action, lifting those up from below. And you're taking away anybody's aspiration professionally to do better. That aspiration but, is gone. And you know where the, the aspiration will go to? The ones that we so desperately need to keep in this country to teach our young, to, to, to heal our sick, to care for our elderly. Where are they all going? They're going to other nations where they're not being so squeezed. They're going across the Tasman. They're going, you know, anywhere else but here. But haven't we lost the fundamental point too, which is getting off just wokeism, but maybe the real world is the issue that first you have to produce and Mm. create the wealth and a wokus a woke person is all about who should get what which is an endless question but the interesting thing for a non-wokestar is you first have to produce the what Mm. right um and that's completely gone from our thinking, hasn't it? That stuff has to be produced. There has to be, someone has to be driving the truck. There has to be a farmer producing the eggs, growing the grain. There has to be a ship traveling the ocean. Um, there has to be people putting their money into mm-hmm. the business. And um, I remember meeting years ago what would be, I wouldn't have known at the time that they were a woke star, but I had a young student who emailed me when I was an MP and he said, you know, I find you incredibly objectionable right? because everything you say is so horrid. And I emailed him back and we agreed to meet. And he came to my office, which was uh, in Auckland. And I said, well, let's go and get something to eat and a coffee. And we went to the food hall and I shouted this young student lunch. Oh, and he goes down there and, oh, this is good. And he feels like Indian today. And he goes and gets an Indian and gets this and he gets his Coke. And he's sitting there in this beautiful retail mall eating this amazing lunch. Um, And I said, tell me, what do you have against the free market? And he said to me, it doesn't work. (laughs) And I was looking at him and thinking, man, I remember being in East Germany and Romania 
and you couldn't eat because of living under a socialist slash communist regime. And you're sitting there feeding your face as a student on amazing food that people have sweated and worked away to provide you. And you're telling me it doesn't work. And that's that loss of reality. Yeah. It? Look, wokeism is an ideology of affluence. The reason it's become so prevalent since the Second World War is there hasn't been from that time. I mean, look at the prosperity in the world yes. that has been attained since the Second World War. Absolutely incredible prosperity. But with that prosperity comes this disconnection of where things come from. And a lot of wokeism too is urban, urban yes. affluence. Because... And we have lost the connection to With nature and to work. Yeah. And um, you can grow up without any regard to getting your hands dirty and having to produce and, and, and meet a budget or a timeline. Yeah. Marie, I'm going to love your show. <laughs> My only thing sad about your show, because I feel as though I've – let this whole conversation drift and I didn't get fully into wokeism, but you actually can't cover wokeism in an hour. No, no, you can't. And we've just scratched, we've honestly, we've just scratched so many surfaces. And, and it sounds nutty to be describing it, uh, but those books, um, and like I told you, I'm reading Andrew Doyle, which is called yeah. The New Puritans. Puritans. And it's just an eye opener and very, very readable. Mm. So, there's a lot to uncover here, but this, I, I've always felt this, and I've gone into hibernation on writing because I realized that I was arguing about climate change and I'd be saying, well, they're clearly wrong because if you look at these data points and if you look at that theory and the way the water vapor interacts with the CO2, their models don't work, but you're missing the point. Mm. It's a bit like arguing, but the treaty really says this, not that. You're missing the point. Uh, mm. Men are, 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 are really men and women. You're missing the point because underneath it is this ideology and philosophy and outlook that you're rubbing up against, which is what you just shared with us, that there is such a thing, let alone getting to um, understand it and mm. grab at what's happened. We're going to love your show, Marie. Mm, We're so it's... lucky to have you. We're so lucky to have the fact that you've put so much time into understanding it. I hope, even though you, that you're doing your own show, that you and I can still talk and get further ahead in my understanding on this. You're an absolute delight. Um, I'm so proud to have you part of my family and my tribe, to have you on uh, Reality Check Radio. This is Marie Buskey, an amazing woman. Um very eloquent, very charming, very understanding, very understandable with a great knowledge. She is truly amazing. And you're going to be hearing more for Marie. All you have to do is tune in to Reality Check Radio and she will be hitting, I don't know, do we call it the airwaves or the internet or the cloud? She will be there. She's a Total, total delight. Thank you very much for joining me.
Thanks, Rodney.